The race to 5G is on, and the battle for talent is getting fierce. Welcome to 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, a podcast dedicated to helping you face the future workforce head on. Navigate this challenging talent landscape with innovative strategies to attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. Only here on 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, CEO of Broadstaff Talent Solutions. Hello and welcome to 5G Talent Talk. I am Carrie Charles and I'm very, very excited that you joined me today. And I'm even more excited to have with me Tom Leto. He is the Chief Strategy Officer of MD7. And I've known you, Tom, for a while now, and I'm just so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. I'm excited and I, I want to congratulate you because I think 5G Talent Talk is very successful and you're doing a great job. And I thank you because I think our industry or our segment of the industry needs the stories, needs the communication. So I think not only are you doing a great job, but you're adding a viable service. We need more exchange of ideas and this is facilitating that. So I really appreciate oh, you doing it. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. It's, it's actually a lot of fun. I enjoy it. I look forward to these conversations. And especially during the last year with COVID, because we haven't been able to see each other. So this has been the highlight of my week is, uh, you know, talking to people and it's just been awesome. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. I miss the trade shows a lot. I, yes. miss, coffee, <laughs> I miss the breakfast and lunch and the social piece. I mean, yes, we're doing a lot of online stuff with the trade shows, but there's the best part of the trade shows is the coffee and the meals and quite frankly, the beers in the lobby bar. And, and, yeah. and I miss that a lot. And I look forward to that coming back eventually. Oh, so do I. So do I. And, you know, Tom, you've had an interesting journey in your professional career. I want to start there and just talk about how you got from where you are to MD7. So, I mean, if you want to go all the way back to the quick beginning, I came into the industry and in, uh, after the uh, PCS auctions, the 1.9 gigahertz auctions in the mid-90s, a guy named Tom Strout had started a company called Columbia Spectrum Management. You may have heard Tom's name recently because he actually hosted a uh, panel on an AGL panel last week online. He's now mm -hmm. president of the uh, Satellite Industry Association. But anyway, Tom had a company that was funded by Columbia Capital up in Northern Virginia, and he gave me my start. I was hired as a microwave relocation negotiator, and I was flying all over the country. 1.9 Spectrum had just been acquired by Primeco and Sprint PCS, T-Mobile and Western Wireless and Bell South, and all these guys had to clear that spectrum. And I was traveling around negotiating microwave paths to be relocated, and Tom gave me my start. And i be honest with you, when I got in the industry, I never looked back. So I'm very grateful to him. I do bump into him from time to time. And I always thank him for giving me the start because it's 25 or however many years ago that was. It's been a great ride ever since. MD7 was started in 2003. Mm -hmm. Michael Gianni is our CEO and founder. And I was introduced to Michael again through a mutual friend also named Tom, Tom Monroe. And he introduced me to Michael. We had a cheeseburger together in La Jolla here in Southern California. And uh, we struck up a friendship and I ended up coming on, joining him as he was starting up MD7. And we've been rocking and rolling ever since. So, you know, it's almost right. two decades we've been working together. It's been a great ride. We're having a lot of fun. Gosh, that's amazing. Almost two decades. The same team, the same leaders. I mean, hats off to you. That's rare that that happens. So yeah, there's, there's actually four of yeah. us, Michael, myself, Mark Christensen, and Michael and Mike Francis. The four of us wow. have, are the principals of the company, and we've basically been together since the beginning of the company. So it's been a unique and a fun ride. Wow. Well, tell us about MD7, your services, who you serve, how many employees, and keep going. 
Okay. So let me give just a little background. There are about 400,000 cell sites in the United States currently, and, and roughly about the same in Europe. And underneath every one of those cell sites is some sort of real property that needs to be acquired, developed, maintained, managed, renewed, ongoing. It's a very, very big part of the industry. And John, I know Jonathan Adelstein's been on uh, 5G Talent Talk a time or two. And I heard him a year or so ago talk about, we. he was estimating, I don't remember where he was getting the source, but he estimated we need probably 800,000 small cells over the next five or so years. And that was a year or two ago. But point being is we got 400,000, we needed another 800 or million, and we're going to end up with well over a million cell sites. And even though they're called small cells, you still have the same entitlements that have to be acquired. You still have all the same management. And matter of fact, it's even more complex. So MD7 for almost two decades has been providing solutions. We operate in 20 different countries, mainly between the United States or North America and Europe. And we've been providing solutions to the operators for those underlying real property assets. And it's been a great fun ride. Like I said, Michael founded the company the three of us joined on shortly thereafter. Today, we've got about 325 employees across, I like to say across nine time zones, because I get a lot of calls early in the morning from, I do a lot of calls early in the morning from Germany and they're nine hours difference. And uh, it's been a great fun. We've been doing a lot of site development, landlord lease management, management optimizing the real estate, the real property assets under there. So 325 people, four offices in Europe. A lot of everybody's now working remote stills, but we do have four offices in Europe and offices in the US as well. So what is the telecom or 5G space like in Europe? And how is it different than the US, would you say? I think if you ask that same question to most of your other guests on this show, they would tell you the biggest difference is that Europe has a lot of the mid-band spectrum. So it's going to impact the way they deploy their network. At MD7, I like to say we're technologically agnostic. The frequency doesn't really matter to us. Our job is to secure the underlying ability to use the underlying real property. So we're agnostic. Both the US, but both the US and Europe have the same need in that they need that underlying property managed and that they've got this deluge of small cells coming and that they're just going to find more and more documentation, more and more things that need to be managed, more data that needs to be managed. So the biggest difference is the spectrum, but that from our point of view, they're remarkably similar. I think the biggest difference from our point of view is that in Europe, they crossed over 100% penetration, meaning everybody's got a cell phone. They crossed over that threshold several years before the U.S. Mm -hmm. So they've been having flat growth curves, revenue growth, ARPU pressure, probably a little longer than the U.S. carriers. It's a big deal on both sides of the ocean, but they've been having a little bit longer. So they've been, that pressure has forced them to be a little bit more open-minded toward out or more optimistic about outsourcing. And I think culturally, they just are more, they tend to specialize more and outsource things that are not their core business. Americans, probably embellishing a little bit, but we tend to think we can do it all, so we're not as open-minded to outsourcing. But they outsource a lot more to us. And so over there, we do a lot of services that we're not doing here that I think we're going to do here eventually. But in Europe, we have a lot of cool services that we hope to bring back this way instead of take over there. I want to find out, is there a workforce shortage in Europe like it is here with telecom and 5G? You know, Is it challenging to, for you to find talent over there just like in America? Well, our headquarters for tax purposes, we're in Dublin, Ireland, as almost all American companies are. Everybody's over there. Google, Facebook, they're all headquartered in Dublin, Ireland. So there's a lot of American companies seeking talent. And Dublin or Ireland does a great job of recruiting people from other countries into Ireland so you can have a headquarters there with a multilingual office. And while you know everyone in our company, are basically everyone speaks pretty darn good English, we do have a lot of German speakers, French speakers, Dutch, Spanish, Italian. 
So the ability to hire in Dublin, we're having a lot of success. And it also depends on the country. Economies in Italy and Spain aren't as strong. So we have uh, easier time. Unemployment's higher there. So we have easier time finding folks. Quite frankly, we have a really hard time finding the German talent, both in Dublin, but also in our office in Dusseldorf. We're constantly recruiting for those positions because we, one, we're growing so much, but it's just a tighter labor market in Germany. Hmm, interesting. So I hear that you launched a new service and a new tool. And yep. we talked a little bit about that insights and contract analyzer. What are those and what purpose do they serve? And you know, what customers do you serve with those? So contract analyzer is software that we developed that uses AI or artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. ML, machine learning, to abstract thousands of cell site leases. It can abstract them more accurately, more consistently, and significantly faster than a team of humans or a team of lawyers can do. You can go out and license software to read contracts. It's basically just really smart software that you can license that reads ones and zeros, and it takes those ones and zeros and puts them in a bucket. So it takes the paragraphs or the clauses out of the contract and drops them in the bucket. You can license that software. But the trick is it doesn't, that software doesn't understand the unique needs of cell site leases. And I've talked to a lot of real estate agents over the year. We are not residential. We're not commercial. We're not retail. Cell sites are different. And so what we did is we took our almost two decades of experience. We read, I don't know, hundreds, maybe even thousands of leases every single day at MD7. So we've got a lot of subject matter expertise. And we took that subject matter expertise and trained that software to read leases with a very high, sometimes as high as 99% accuracy, but more impressively, 100% consistency. You get a team of lawyers to read a lease. They're not going to interpret the language the same way. But once we train that machine that this set of ones and zeros goes into this bucket and this other set goes into another bucket, once it learns that, and the machine will learn that with enough repetitions, and it's not as many repetitions as you think, you can then review leases with amazing accuracy, amazing consistency in a fraction of the time. And we've run, so far, we've run over 125,000 leases, some in English, some in German, through that software. And it's just been, it's been great. But Insights is a service we've got, or we've, we've rolled out. That's how we named it. Typically, a cell site lease has, I don't know, 30 or 40 provisions in it. And each of those provisions has four or five key pieces of information. So maybe there's 150, 160 pieces of information at least. Because of cost, we typically in our industry tend to only abstract and analyze 25, maybe 30% of that data. With Contract Analyzer, we can abstract 100% of it consistently. Now you take that data and now you can start analyzing these leases. And remember, there's 400,000 in the US, another 400 in Europe, and hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of coming. That's a lot of data, a lot of assets. And you start looking at that data, and that's what we call insights, analyzing that data. And you can not only analyze trends in rents, rent expense, escalator expense, but we also can go in and assign values or scores to each of those 150 pieces of information, and we can score leases. We can tell you how good your leases are. We can, on a scale one to 100, we can tell you how many 50s you got, how many 60s you got, not that many 80s and 90s, and there's certainly no hundreds out there, but we can score leases. And when you start scoring your leases, you start looking at how you can improve them because that's a lot of assets that, that need to really be optimized, not just from the rent perspective, but the language perspective as well. So Contract Analyzer has enabled us to roll out, really getting smart about how to look at this deluge of paperwork, both data and document management that's coming down the pipe.
you know, this really makes me think of this massive digital transformation that's taking place in the world today. And that companies and leaders are thinking, okay, what software can we build? What technology can we build? How can we become more efficient? And, you know, how many years ago did you have these ideas of digitizing your company and your processes? I talked about meeting Michael back in, I don't know, 2003 or whenever it was over cheeseburger in La Jolla. And he had, I don't know if he knew, had the idea of digitizing it, but he knew the leases needed to be managed better. He knew that these needed to be optimized. And quite frankly, when I remember in that conversation saying, I think it's a great idea, Michael, but I'm not sure that the industry is ready for that yet. And there was some truth to that. And I remember I wrote an article in, for AGL in 2009, I called cell phones are like hamburgers. And what I meant by that is, <laughs> McDonald's, if you ask, there's an old story about asking Ray Kroc what business he's in. And he didn't say hamburgers. He said real estate because he felt finding the perfect piece of real estate made selling the hamburgers possible. Well, I argue we do the same thing without a great real estate deal underneath every single cell site in the world. You've got to call in your coverage. And there's not a single RF engineer in the world who wants holes in their coverage. So mm. you need manage and optimize that. And Ray Kroc did that at McDonald's. So that was 2009. So we've been talking about it for a while. We started really getting into this, I don't know, four or five years ago, we would hire teams of young lawyers or people right out, JDs right out of law school who maybe were studying for the bar exam. And they would work for us during the day and study at night. And they would analyze, they would sit there and just abstract leases. And we got pretty good about training humans, double blind audits and getting consistent. But it was also expensive because we'd have literally 45, 50 humans sitting in an office space reading leases with a team of lawyers overseeing and quality checking. Then customers started offshoring it and they lost quality when they offshored it because it just, if English wasn't their first language, they didn't have legal experience in our industry. Right. The accuracy. And that's when we said, you know what, we've got to come up with another way to do this. And then the software, the AI software started coming out. But again, the trick was not getting the AI software. The trick was teaching that software to read our unique sets, our mm -hmm. unique parameters and doing it consistently. So it's, it's been a lot of fun and we're getting wow. pretty good at it. Oh, that's exciting. I love to hear about new technology. So let's switch gears a bit and talk about the culture at MD7. And I see bits and pieces of your culture behind you, heard amazing things about the MD7 culture. So what makes you different? Wow, I can't believe I'm saying it for the third time, but I'm going back to that first conversation with Michael. He told me when he started MD7 and we were talking about me coming on board, he didn't have any customers at the time, but he said he wanted our company to be different. And I, you know, I believed him, but I wasn't sure what that meant at that time. And I wasn't sure how you maintain that. Everybody says that, but then the pressures of building a business take over and you just start focusing on the bottom line. But one of the things we did, and it took us a couple of years to do them, was we worked and worked and worked on our core values. And you'd be surprised, why did it take you three or four years to write them? But it did because they needed to be true from the heart. And so we came up with our six core values that are, you see some of them hanging on the wall behind me. We talk about them every day. Literally this morning, we had a company-wide call. We called the huddle and we actually went through the six core values again. We talk about them almost every day. A lot of people write core values, hang them on the wall, and then get back to business. We use them. Every decision we have to make, we filter through those core values, and it helps you make the right decisions, treat people well. And that's been the biggest difference. And then the other thing is we always try and put the people first. Yes, we're in a business of transaction. We do sell sites and leases and real estate. And those are, by definition, transactions. But if you put the relationship before the transactions, transactions will take care of themselves. And the continuous improvement happens naturally because everybody feels like they're part of something bigger than themselves. Mm. Relationships before the transactions. I love that. I love that. I might uh, steal that from you. I'll give you credit, though. I promise. Well, <laughs> I, you have to give other people credit because I've, I've stolen it from other people and Michael says it all the time. So there's okay. a lot of people out there saying that. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, there's not a lot of people out there that are walking their talk. So kudos to you for walking that talk. So Tom, how do you manage and motivate and engage your teams and especially all across the world? And you mentioned something about a huddle every day. You know, how do you do that? So, I mean, we did it before COVID too. We had a daily huddle, but the huddle was in our offices. Well, we have a lot of remote employees that aren't in those offices because we've got work all over the place and it's not cost efficient to have offices in every place where you've got work. So we have a lot of remote employees. But when COVID came, a huddle is just a 15 minute every day where all the companies gather and a little, we share a quote, we talk about what's going on in the company. We share kudos for anybody who's done a good job and recently or gotten one of what we call good to the core awards. And we were doing it face to face. Now with COVID, we just started doing it on remotely. So we have two huddles a day, one at 9 a.m. California time and the other 9 a.m. Dublin, Ireland time. I do on occasion wake up at one in the morning and dial into the into that one. Or if I just happen to be awake, I'll go down and turn on my computer and jump into that call. But it's just 15 minutes to talk about the culture, to encourage, to support. So that has been the big unifier in the company. And those are run by VP of Ops in the US and our VP of Ops in Europe. They run those calls every single day. And every day, a different person shares and talks about what's going on in their life and uh, or shares a quote or an inspiration. And that's the base of it. So we spend a lot of time talking to the people and about the people. Mm. It's all about engaging, talking to the people and, you know, having these daily interactions, I think it's crucial with a remote team. And I think that's one way that leaders really, you know, the mistake that they make is not staying connected on even a daily basis. So I'm curious how your culture's changed through COVID and through the past year. What were some, let's say some things that you learned or maybe new practices that you put into place because of what you went through? Well, when the huddle, literally within the second day, it took us a day to figure out how to use, we use Ring Central, which is just a form of Zoom. And it took us a day or two to figure out how to set up a room that large, let that many people in. But within two or three days, we had that huddle up and running. And one of the first comments I heard was from one of our employees who was remote for years and had never been to a huddle and said, I'm so glad this happened. I get to join. But the other things we did is we became very purposeful about our communication with folks. We have a director of corporate responsibility named Cheryl Bobbitt. And Cheryl literally went to HR and got a list of every person in the company and just started going down that list, calling and or emailing every single one. Just saying, how are I? I mean, first, the first comments were, hey, I, I, we went remote. I, I don't have a printer at home. Someone, hey, how are you? I just need, great, I need a printer. My chair, my kitchen chair is not very comfortable. We thought it was for 14 days, right? So we just muscled through it. But as it started dragging on, she started checking in, how are you doing? And she started seeing how they were doing with isolation, how they're doing with the remote kids doing school from home. And Cheryl would purposefully go through and contact and reach out to everybody. Some would respond, some didn't respond. Some would thank her for the call and open up that they were struggling with something. And so we got very purposeful in our communication. Mm -hmm. We got very structured in our team meetings, in our smaller Zoom meetings. I will also say in the huddle, we started really trying, easier said than done, but trying to focus on gratitude. I mean, let's be honest, we're, we're, we're lucky. We didn't have to furlough or lay off anybody. We're essential. We're nowhere near as essential as the medical workers. Let's not even begin that. But when you push out hundreds of millions of people, you've got to have good communication. Our customers are essential and we support our customers. So we were very fortunate that we didn't have any financial impact as a company. And we started to base our gratitude on that. But we had family members of our employees who did lose their job or who did get sick or who did have some had family members pass away. We needed to focus on the gratitude, but we needed to love and support those employees. So the biggest change was being more, we've always talked, but it happens naturally in the office. We had to be more purposeful. 
And the best part of that is the folks who've been remote for years were telling us how much, wow, I finally pulled in. And we realized, wow, we weren't pulling them in as much as we should have. So it's been good. But I still want to get back to face-to-face. Yes, so do I. So do I. The, you know, mental health has become more and more important to leaders and in business, even through COVID. And now it's a very, very big topic that everyone's talking about. And I know that you have mental health webinars each month, don't you? We call mental wellness webinars. And it started several months ago. We actually engaged a clinical psychologist and we set up a webinar and we do it at seven or eight in the morning. And we actually have our European employees dial in as well. And this gal goes through once a month, we do it. Matter of fact, we have one scheduled just this morning. We announced our next one that's coming up. We're continuing to do it. Talks about, you know, how to manage your time better, how to rebalance your life now that your life got thrown out of balance. Yeah. Some of our employees thought they were at first they were working from home, but one said to me, wow, I feel like I'm living at work, especially those that live by themselves. So we, they had to recalibrate what balanced life meant. And so we had these webinars that were just really giving tips on how to manage your time, how to deal with stress, how to improve your communication. To be honest with you, I wasn't sure how they were going to be received, but they were received really well. Yeah. And out of that, we've had some employees reach out to either the psychologist or HR department for a little more custom help, a unique mm-hmm. help regarding whatever is going on in their life. And of course, at that point, we just go through our insurance and all our protocols and all that. But this wellness, mental wellness webinar helped them come to the realization that they, hey, help's available. People can listen. You're not alone. And so it's something we've been doing. And to be honest, I wasn't sure how it's going to, people were going to participate. Participation has been amazing. And the comments we've gotten, the feedback, and cost us that much, but an hour of our time once a month. You know, that's one silver lining that I really believe has come from COVID is that mental wellness and health has been a priority for human beings for forever. I mean, and people have been bringing their stresses to work and they've been experiencing loss and difficulty and emotional challenges and family issues and all kinds of stuff. I mean, this isn't new. It just didn't happen just in the past year. So now I think it's just incredible that you are recognizing this and being a support for your people to say, look, we care and we not only care, but we're going to help you. And uh, I I just love it. I have to give credit to our HR team, both uh, in the US and in Europe, because they're the ones who advocated for this. They came to the execs and said, I'd like to spend a little bit of money, but more importantly, I'd like to ask for an hour a month, you know, to to pull everybody off production for an hour a month. But I think it is more than paid dividend. Oh, yes, definitely. You know, you have people that are very, very different all over the world with different ideas and thoughts and beliefs and visions and values and that come from different places. I mean, I'm sure that diversity and equity and inclusion is something that's very, very important for MD7. But how do you make sure that this DEI is felt throughout your entire organization in every country, every office? Well, we started a formal diversity program back in, I don't know, probably 2011. I remember when 4G build-out was getting real momentum and our company started growing very fast. We realized we were hiring more vendors. We needed supplier diversity. We needed diversity in the workforce. So we've had a formal program in place for a number of years. It's Today, it's run by or headed by Lynn Witcher, who is also our general counsel. And Lynn, by the way, I'll put in a shameless plug. Lynn is doing a 10-episode webinar with a series with AGL on- Yes, she is. On diversity, equity, and inclusion. And she's got, uh, I'm not allowed to mention any names, but she's got some pretty impressive hosts, or not hosts, guests coming up. Yeah. And, and she's doing a great job with it. So, But she also heads that up for us. So she keeps uh, once a quarter, we have a meeting where everybody comes in and updates the executives on all that. She reports on that quarterly. 
she actually announced that we had an all company in the huddle. We have what's called What's Up Wednesday, and she announced all our diversity statistics. Very proud that our workforce is 50% diverse. So we do take measure of that. But I will tell you, here's the heart of it. The heart of it is one of our core values. And I don't know if you can see it behind. Oh, they actually can. Respect for the individual. I didn't do that on purpose. I promise. Individual <laughs> is one of our core values. And it's all about meeting people where they are, understanding who they are, loving them, respecting them as a human. We all have hopes. We all have dreams. We all have fears and worries and stresses in our daily life. And yours may be different than mine, but we're both human. And if I can meet you at that place, then you begin to have a relationship. And we may not, we may or may not be best friends, but if I respect the fact that you're going through stuff, both good and bad, and I'm doing the same, you can meet each other where you are. And that particularly is true at MD7 because we have a lot of, not only in the US, but European employees. And we have a lot of people who come from Germany or Spain or Italy and even Croatia. We have an Egyptian employee done some work in Egypt. So we have a lot of diverse cultures, a lot of diverse backgrounds. So it's a big deal. Lynn does a great job managing it. Dan Cooney uh, manages it for us in Europe. And then the one cool thing we've been doing for years and is what we call diversity lunches. They've gotten hampered a little by COVID, but we still do them. This is where eight or 10 people will go to lunch together. We rent a private room, they order lunch, and they just take turns going around the table, talking about their background, where they came from. And I'm blown away by some of the personal stuff that gets shared in those meetings. But it's really, it just allows people to be themselves. And it's a, I don't like the word safe space. It's just a space where they can be real and they share and they're open. And it's really created a mutual respect and a mutual admiration for each other. Respect for the individual is the foundation of our diversity program. And then let let me just add one other thing. I also think as executives, and this is a little different, it's not typically what's said at these at things like this, but I think as executives, and you you yourself run a business, you know, the best thing we can do is find is grow our business. I saw a quote in the Wall Street Journal the other day, a reference to the Microsoft CEO said, the best thing we can do is provide profitable solutions so that the pie grows. And when the pie grows, you pull more people up to a seat at the table and they can share in that growth. And Mm -hmm. yes, diversity is important. Yes, it's a priority. We focus on it. But we also don't forget about focusing on growth because if you grow and you're more profitable, you pull more people to the seat at the table and they get a place as well. So we focus on both of those. Gosh, I love that perspective. Um, It's so true too. And I know there's so much to think about as a leader, as you're growing a company, but you know, growing does provide opportunities to pull more people in and give them opportunities for growth and to, you know, to make their dreams come true. So I just love that perspective. You know, talking about leadership, Obviously, every great company has great leaders. So tell me, what is the leadership philosophy or philosophies of MD7? Well, let me touch on one thing you just said. Everybody's so they all fulfill their own dreams. I remember you said something that just now. I do believe, and this is me personally speaking now, one of the things I love to do is help people discover what they ultimately want to do with their life. Sometimes they know, sometimes they don't. And if you can help them align with that and make sure their career aligns with that, then they're self-fulfilled. They're getting up to the top of Maslow's hierarchy and their self-fulfillment is important. And I personally would like to help everybody at MD7, but everybody I encounter, I can't do every single person I meet. But if I can mentor or meet a few people around me and impact them and help them self-discover, discover what their true ambitions and hopes and dreams are and align them their lives with that, then they start to have self-fulfillment. That's huge. And that's a part of a lot of, of, of MD7. I'm, I'm going to say our leadership philosophy, I'm going to use a word that's probably going to make some people think. But if I had to boil it down to one word, I would say the word is love. And you don't use the word love in business a lot. You really don't. I mean, it's because in English, we only have one word for love. You love pizza. You love dog. You love your wife. You make love. It means so many different things. So when you say it in business, in Spanish, there's two or three different words for love. In Greek, there's six different words for love. And you think about the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, phileo love. 
if you we try to practice this respect for the individual, another way to say it is love. And we actually use that word around here a lot. Michael uses it a lot. We've recommended books. I've got a we've got about 20 or books that we recommend all our employees. We won't make them read, but we strongly recommend and keep a bunch of them on hand, though everybody now wants an audible version. And some of them are on love and loving humans and meeting people where they are. And it's all just another way of saying respect the individual. So our philosophy is to focus on the people, focus on helping them become and reach their potential and become who they want to be. And sometimes I've had conversations with employees and you ask them, what do you want to do with your life? If they say something and MD7 is not helping them get there, even if they're a great employee, I'm not going to say, well, you should quit. But I might ask them, how are we helping you get there? And I do that when I interview people, because I want to make sure if you come on board, we're helping you get where you want to go. If your dream is to open a restaurant, I'm not sure we're going to help you get there. So I want to help you get there. And I'm not telling you you can't work here, but are you going to be satisfied? Because in the end, we got to be satisfied deep inside. I am so glad that you brought up this word love in business, because I do think that it's something that many business leaders, you know, they're afraid to say, or they're even, you know, I don't, I can't bring that word over here, but you are absolutely right. Because I feel the same way that it's, there's so many different definitions of love, but it's really the love of, of humans, of another person. I mean, we love what we do. That's what we're doing it. And being able to sit in the experience of love, and sharing it. I mean, I just don't think it's a word that we need to be afraid of in business at all. So I'm so happy that you brought that up. Thank you. Thank you for that. How do, let's talk about leaders, right? Future leaders and, you know, growing and developing tomorrow's leaders. You know, do you have a formal growth and development program for people and folks that want to move up? You know, what does that look like at MD7? We do. We have what we call leadership training program. We actually revamped it in the last quarter of 2020 with the intent of rolling it out in 2021. And both the head of HR in Europe and the head of HR in the U.S. for us worked together. Uh, The HR gal was getting up early in the morning and doing the calls with the European team. And they developed revamp. We've experienced a lot of growth and we for, we see a lot more growth coming. And we knew we just need to take our training to that paradigm to make sure that we had a strong bench of future leaders to choose from. So we did. I mean, we focus on EQ and coaching. We focus on conflict resolution. We focus on project management. We focus on uh, one of my favorites is uh, we do uh, discovery insights and we also do strength finders. So we teach them about their personalities and we haven't talked to each other that maybe you take a strength finders test or diversity. I mean, not diversity. Yeah. Oh my God, I just drew a blank. I just said it. Anyway, like a Myers Briggs test, yeah. the personality yeah. test. Oh, the, yeah, the assessment personality, right. Strengths finders, right. Yeah. And, and then so when we share with each other, I go, oh, well, I'm, my personality is different than yours. And that may cause some conflict. But at the same time, I now recognize your strengths and why you behave that way and why I behave that way. And then you start to work on, you start to complement each other and work together more as a team. So we definitely do a lot of that. We also teach them interviewing skills. We teach them basics like project management and overseeing their team. The conflict resolution is a big one because it just almost probably eliminates more than it resolves conflict. And so those are all part of our formal training program. And and then personally, when somebody comes in and wants to talk to me about leadership, I tell them to constantly train their replacement. And at first, sometimes they're a little taken back by that because they think, why are you trying to get rid of it? No. But if we're going to grow and you want to climb up, I want you to reach down and pull two people up with you. Don't leave your space empty. You find your backfill. And don't even tell them you're doing it, but look around your team and find two or three people who you think might be able to replace you and begin delegating a little bit more to them, a little bit more to mentor them. 
And then when you move up and you pull one or two of them with you, tell them what you did and make sure they do it again. And so it's about when we were smaller, I knew every person in the company. I was able to talk to them. I was able to do a lot of the personal training personally, and I still do a lot of the training, but I can't do it all. And now we have to train trainers who train trainers and we have to make sure that consistency is there. But we definitely have a formal and as well as an informal training program and mentoring. And mentoring as well? Yes. Yeah, mentoring. Okay, that's fantastic. That's uh I mean, that's what it's all about. I think it's and it's so important to have what you said. You bring people up and you say, look, train your replacement. And oh, I just I could talk about this for hours. I, I love this subject. Let's switch gears again. And let's talk a little bit about the trends that you see in real estate, uh, site development, site acquisition. What where are we going? Where are we headed? Well, I've already touched on it, but small sales are going to we say the smartphone changed everything back in 2007, 2008. And it did. All our lives are different. Small sales are going to change a lot too, but it's going to, the volume of sell sites are going up significantly. And again, just because they're small doesn't mean that they don't have underlying real property that needs to be addressed. So we see a deluge of information, a deluge of data and documents that need to be managed. We also see that carriers, both in the US and Europe, are now well over 100% penetration. I think the US is at 114 or 115% now. So everybody's got a phone. So their growth curves are flattening. So they're looking for innovative ways to manage this data. And let's be honest, when you're building out 5G, they want to focus on coverage, capacity, and latency. They want to get the sites on air quick. They don't want to wait. And so managing that underlying real estate is not necessarily the thing that all the operators are keeping. And we, we work like 60 different operators across 20 countries. It's not, I'm not picking on anyone. It's consistent. Their business is building those and maintaining those networks so that your phone and my phone work. And with 5G, all the businesses and enterprise applications that are going to come out are going to, to innovate and lead. That's all great. But at MD7, we focus on the non-sexy part underneath all that. And we see a tremendous increase in that. We also see a need to significantly manage that data and those documents better, faster, and cheaper. And that was the whole concept behind Contract Analyzer, what we now call Insights, our services where we're going in and providing literally some, some consulting to operators who want to get smarter about managing their real estate. Take that Ray Kroc McDonald's mindset to finding the perfect real estate, but maximizing it, treating it as an asset, not a, oh, well, we just have to pay the rent to keep the sites going. It's an asset. You got to manage it. You got to manage yeah. it. And we see that problem getting much, much bigger over the next three to five years. It's already, some of the operators are starting to see it, especially in Europe, right. we're seeing it. But it, that's the biggest trend we see. Yes, of course, are all the other trends that you read about all the time. And, but that's the one that we focus on. So what is next for MD7? You know, you've innovated and you're coming up with just new technology and new ideas. And where are you going to be in five years? What's your vision? Well, it's exciting, to be honest with you. And I'm, I'm not just saying that because we're talking on now. I really am excited about this. And I get excited when I'm talking to both customers and team members about it. We've grown a lot over the last week. We basically have grown consistently at, at 20% or so a year for the last seven or eight years. And we wow. probably could have grown faster than that, but we managed it because we wanted to maintain the quality and the innovation. And we think we're going to continue at that growth rate, especially with all the 5G work that's coming down the pipe. And 5G is not going to be one crazy mad year and then all, we're all done. This is going to take much longer to build out. It's going to pace itself. And then when it's done being built out, again, there's more real estate that has to be managed and maintained. And that's ongoing for 
forever. So we see growth in our current or longstanding services like site development. We see more of that being needed. We had to develop and innovate new deployment models because small sales are being done in much greater volumes than we ever did. We built 400,000 over, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Now we're going to build, according to Jonathan Adelson, we're going to build 800,000 in five. So we better come up with new deployment models. And we've done that. So we're going to continue to grow in that area. But the exciting part is this insight, this consulting that we see ourselves moving into that not everybody may even realize they need it now. But we see that side of our business picking up as a completely separate side, completely different skill set. It's exciting to see where we're going. We think we're going to grow a lot over the next three to five years. And I only limit it there because that's as far as I can really see when the world changes as fast as it does. But we're, we're really, really excited about the opportunities. You know, Tom, every time I talk to you, I just feel your passion for what you do and your passion for the company, for MD7. But most of all, and what I admire about you is your passion for people. And it just shines through. And, you know, no wonder MD7 is such a successful company. It's also a really great place to work. I know a lot of people that work there, and I'm sure a lot of people that are listening right now are thinking, where do I go to find out more about jobs at MD7? So where can people learn? And also for someone who may want to hire you as well to do work for them. So you can go to md7.com. Our careers page is on there under the hamburger menu. And we have a lot of openings, especially German speakers. But we have just this morning in our huddle, Stacia, who runs our HR in the U.S., announced an onslaught of new positions that we're recruiting internally for and we'll hire externally, but we love promote internally and then backfill them. So we have four or five, what we call entry points, not entry level, but entry points in the company where you come in, you get in sync with us, you, you learn the rhythm, you learn the culture. We do a lot of culture interviews. I actually learned that from you about making sure you hire the right people and we bring them in and then we want to see them move up. So we're pushing these or promoting these positions internally, but all those open positions are also on md7.com. You can go in there and sort by country. You can sort by uh, job skills or uh, all different ways. So yeah, it's a lot of fun and everything you need is on md7.com. So it's a great place to start. Oh, wonderful. Tom, thank you so much. This has just been a pleasure. I've really, really enjoyed it and I've learned a lot too. So thank you for being on the show. And I will see you in person soon. I know that. Yes, I look forward to it. Thank you for having me. And again, congratulations on the success of 5G Talent Talk. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tom. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another informative episode of 5G Talent Talk brought to you by RCR Wireless News, Telecom Careers, and Broadstaff Talent Solutions. As we advance into the future, we promise to bring you the resources you need to navigate this ever-changing landscape of 5G to help you attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. To access the show notes or leave a review, visit broadstaffglobal.com. Until next time.